Hey everybody, this is Keach Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast, and I'm here at the Band Cave with a uh, person, a drummer friend that I have known for a long time, but I really haven't really, we haven't talked a whole lot, Kevin Rapillo. That's right. Well, you know, like, like I say to most people, at least you're on tour with other bands. There's only yeah. one drummer in a band, right. so you're not running into them every day. Right, uh, yeah. You go through more guitar players as a drummer than you yeah. do drummers. And yeah. so you play yeah. and have played with mm-hmm. Rodney Atkins since he started, like in the beginning. Yeah, kind of accidentally since he started. Like like yeah. most of us, when we move to town, you get called for gigs, and some people you see uh, a lot. Some people call you back. Some people never call you back, or they go away. It's like seasonal. Rodney, I got a call from a friend who said, this new guy has a single out. He needs a band for the weekend. See on Tuesday. Learn these songs. Okay. I've done that many times. Uh, and uh, I did that. And he was a new guy, and we played at 12 noon at the Detroit Hoedown or something. You know, <laughs> I know that. We played that. The Hoedown, Oh, sure. my God. That's a crazy, crazy gig. Crazy. I'll I, I tell you a little short story about the Hoedown in Detroit is that we were playing that in our heyday, like when No News was out and that kind of sure. thing in 97, 96, something like that. And um, they, we decided to go sign autographs. We signed autographs after every show because we had merchandise and we had a merch guy and Absolutely. all that. Absolutely. And the reaction we got from the people there was – are you sure, are you totally sure you want to do that? Because <laughs> it was kind of like throwing us to the lions it's, in a way. Because they're crazy there. Man, it's wild. Not- it's in that hole in the center of town underneath the GM building. And yes. those people come out. They're not yeah. kidding around. Uh, so that was sort of my first experience uh, with, with Rodney. Um, he ended up getting a, a top five hit off that first record randomly. Uh, so I was like, oh, I figured this country thing out. I, I just got here and I met this guy and now he's got this top five hit and I'm playing this and that and then <laughs> nothing happened forever. Oh my God, really? For years. Uh, he didn't. You mean nothing happened? Like you, did you still play with him? I still no, played with him. He still called with me. They were still, yeah. still called me. They, they were still trying to put things together, but oh, he basically got put in the basement uh-huh. of his record label and uh, wow. for, for years and years, nothing happened. They threw a lot of other singles at the wall and nothing happened so he kept calling me and i kept doing it now what were uh, you doing at the during that time uh, in the, while you were waiting uh playing with uh, calls keep coming in you you know you play with other people i didn't realize that this town was very compartmentalized where, where the session guys would never go on the road and the road ah, guys see, didn't yeah. get to do sessions i was <laughs> just a new guy going i'll just do what anybody calls me for right yeah. sometimes it's in town sometimes it's out of town I didn't know the difference, so I was naive as far as that goes, as far as being a drummer for hire. Someone called, seemed reasonable, I'll go do it. Just go whatever pays. Yeah. If it was a horrible experience, which was rare, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't, I'd say no next time or something, but very rarely did I say no. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was just playing with other people, auditioning for people, you know, going to SIR and standing in line, auditioning for Shadezi or something, you know, whatever came down the line. Some of which I got, most of which I didn't. They'd always pick the wrong guy. Yeah, right. Of and, and let him go two weeks later or something. I'd be in a hallway with like Rich Redman and all these great drummers, and <laughs> nobody would get it. You know, they'd they'd pick some other guy. Like, okay, whatever. Uh, so I just kept chugging along, and um, then out of nowhere, I auditioned and got this other gig, uh, uh, which was interesting. Um, and Rodney, now, why do you say that? Why you, you had a big grin on your face when you said it was, that was interesting? It was and difficult. You kind of it was difficult. Really? You know, it was one of those things where the artist was sort of had a top ten hit, and it was just difficult situation. They paid me well, but 
but it was a little crazy. And I was kind of thinking about five years in to Nashville, well, maybe this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just go work for UPS or something. I mean, I had, I'm, I'm like a complete moron. I can get a job. <laughs> like this just seems a little crazy, a little dramatic. It's kind of off the rails. So you won't say what artist it was. You don't. You don't want. Uh, I guess it doesn't really matter. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's fine. I'm sure he's figured himself out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. uh, it was just a little crazy. And having come from rock and roll world, I'm like, well, I didn't come to Nashville at this point of the game for me for this kind of thing. It's yeah, just, right. It's just, it's it, a yeah. bit silly. So in the meantime, Ronnie had put out a single. If you're going through hell, he's like, hey, I've got this single. They're going to throw it against the wall. Um, I said, okay, uh, call me when you have gigs. He did. And from zero, from from nothing, he had nothing going on. Uh, he was dead in the water. So six months later, he had a number one. Was this around the 2003 when... No, this you... is like 2006 now. Oh, oh okay. I so see. nothing yeah. happens for years with wow. him. Uh, literally nothing. Wow. And they throw this single against the wall and it becomes a number one. And then he proceeds to get four consecutive number ones off that record. Oh, my gosh. So... Why do you think that is? Just your your own, is it a producer thing maybe, or is it just timing? I think he had done a lot of things that maybe weren't himself trying to okay, be an yeah. artist. You know, I've seen artists do that. I think he was so put in the basement that he just said, screw it, I'm just going to go to my house and, and, and demo songs and try to do me in the most naive, innocent way. And it clicked, it finally clicked. Uh, and he was a good guy. He had put in the work before, so he had a lot of relationships that were solid. And it just clicked. I don't know. How do you explain that? Four consecutive number ones from literally, he was sitting in my kitchen the December before, and I'm thinking, well, it's been good knowing you. Call me sometime. Uh, it's over. You know? Wow. But it, it, it just, just worked. Yeah. You know, Toby so, Keith did that when uh, he kind of lost his deal in the, I want to say the late 90s or something. And then he just said, you know what? I'm going to just do the stuff I want to do. Yeah. The stuff that sounds like me that I am interested in doing. And Kenny Chesney, uh, you know, uh, ironically, did the same thing. Yeah. I mean, he just kind of said, I kind of want to be the country. I guess at some point he kind of said, I want to be the country Jimmy Buffett kind yeah, of thing. And I mean, he what, totally did. Whatever's comfortable. And it seemed, it was, it was more out of just, no other choice than some uh what do you know, got to lose right you know? nothing yeah. it's already over it's, so yeah. you might as well just be do you he put on his baseball hat he got rid of all the crazy leather pants and trying to be the artist that they want him to be and he just said he's like i'm just gonna yeah. get some songs and sing about my kid and mm-hmm. hope for the best and and here here we are working ever yeah. since so uh, it doesn't make any sense on paper but um but i was naive enough when i moved here to just say yes to whatever people ask me to do. Whatever came through. Uh, And knowing full well that there's so much talent in this town, I'd be a fool if I thought I was going to take over something. So I just find my, I found my people and just did that. You know, it's not, I'm not for everybody. What kind of relationships were you, were you forming then? Was it like a kind of a bass player drummer thing or were you just like, I had some of that. A friend I moved to Nashville with, my friend Jamie Rubin, who had opened uh, this club called The Family Wash over in East Nashville. Okay. Uh, we had been friends since we were kids in Boston. We moved here together. And I played there a lot. So I, I played for a lot of songwriters. So instead of doing the having to, uh, you know, drive 100 miles to play a wedding, 
for 50 bucks. I decided to just get a day job and play over at that kind of place for like a lot of original songwriters just to meet, just to, I'd rather do that for free. I think you'd fare a lot better that way because of the relationships that you're Relationships, and I I like doing that. It was my thing. I figured that's that's what I'm more comfortable with. Uh, There's guys that do the other thing better. I'm just Mm -hmm. not one of those guys. So I did that and I cultivated a lot of relationships and found my people and got asked to play on stuff. And I I showed up, you know, sometimes when you just show up uh, and you're not a lunatic and you do the thing, people call you back. They remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it sounds so silly and so basic, but, um, but it's true. It's going to go back to your uh, beginnings. You're from Boston and which by the way, I have to say, one of my favorite band my favorite band of all time when i was a teenager was boston i mean that was the only band i ever collected pictures and bought their albums and i was a true fan yeah uh one of the greatest headphone records of all time that first record yes right that's me (laughs) when i was that's my that's the 16 year old me yeah sitting with my radio shack headphones on listening to the boston first album over and over and over and over again i'd say that holds up i'd say to anybody right now if you put on your headphones especially nice headphones now and you put that record on it's yeah. still kind of mind-blowing. It, it really is. Yeah. All the attention to detail that Tom Scholz put into all yeah. that stuff. Did you know any of the Boston guys? No, no. Uh, being though, in Boston? though being in a rock band as a, as a kid, we all had the same rehearsal spaces. So the, there's only a couple in Boston at that time. Oh. So they had a they had the huge room course, in the space yeah. we're in, right? With all their big, fancy road cases. Like, we didn't, you know, we couldn't get those. And they probably had the, the on their road cases, not, not just Boston, but the whole stencil that had the yes. spaceship and everything yes. on that. I could just picture it. That and bands like The Cars, you know, are also from oh, Boston. Yeah. Okay. So we'd see their road cases. You know, they had another big room in wow. there. So, you know, as a kid, you're walking by going, yes. Yes, man. Look, I want to touch this case and it's going <laughs> to rub off on me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, uh, so yeah, no, I didn't know them, but I, you know, just like I said, seeing their truck, their panel truck, mm-hmm. pull yeah. up and load up cool. was very exciting. You know, uh, so yeah, so just, just what a, era did you were say where you were in high school? I know you're we're about the same. We're age, the same age, basically. Uh, so yeah, I'm in the I'm an '80s kid. So I'm in Boston in the early '80s. I I moved to Boston at 17 years old to go to school, uh, to go to college. I had no business getting dropped off at Boston at 17 years old, but my parents <laughs> did it. Where was it from before that? Uh, where was I before? Oh, yeah, you had said New Hampshire or something. Uh, no, like Connecticut, that. Or, Connecticut. I'm sorry, Connecticut. Which, I'm just getting my No, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, yeah, so like most people, if you go to school, you probably went to Boston. In yeah. New, in New, in That's New where England. all the good colleges are. Yeah, so. huge college town, obviously. What, were, what was your plan? I mean, like, like going to school, were you studying like medicine or anything like no, that? No, I, I went to music college. Okay. But for all the wrong reasons. Okay. Not the wrong reasons, but my only thought was to go there and find a band. Period. I see. Okay. Find a rock and That's roll what band. I would have done. That's yeah. exactly what I would have done. Uh, the the bigger mistake is I mistakenly went to jazz college. Okay, right. And okay. had no business being there because I wasn't really interested in that. Right. I love it. I love jazz. But I wasn't I wasn't interested in studying music. I was interested in finding a rock and roll band and getting on with it, which I did. But you know, the only hitch was. Oh, I have to show up at this school thing? I have to do these jazz classes. (laughs) With all these prodigies, you know? I know, right. I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. Wow. Uh, This is... But uh, the takeaway from that is it taught me how to survive. Yeah, right. uh, Many years later, moving to Nashville, same experience where I went to a school where everybody's better than me Uh in my, you know, view. Now what? 
Yeah, right. I got to figure out what I'm going to do now, right? So um, Nashville is very similar. So many years later, as a you know grown up now, I move here and go, wow, everybody's better than me. <laughs> now what do I do? Wow. I got to go find my people, I guess, and yeah, exactly. figure it out. You I know? think that's a good, what you said there is a huge, find my people. I have to find my people. When you find your people, you're kind of a family. You're kind of like your home. You can start, you can rub your hands together. Okay. All right. Let's get to work. And they get you, you get them. You can kind of bounce from there. It, it makes sense. Cause if I ask you your story, as interested as I am in that, how am I, I'm, that's not going to be my way to get there. And my story is maybe interesting, but it, it doesn't relate to what you're doing. And so look, when a kid now asks me, well, how did you get that gig? I'm like, well, I'll tell you, you may want to not want to hear the answer because it's not <laughs> yeah. like super sexy or super, <laughs> you know, it's kind of nuts and bolts, but you still have to find your way of doing yeah, it. Right. So, um, yeah, it's tough. It's yeah. tough to, to, you really have to go figure it out for yourself. So the band, you, you, you did finally meet some musicians in I Boston. Did. And what was the name of the group that you were in there back then? I had a rock band called Kid Crash, you know, that eighties crazy cool. rock stuff. And, wow. uh, we, uh, we got pretty far. I mean, in those days, we were young. We got a couple different record deals. Mm-hmm. You know, were you writing as well? Uh, well, we wrote as a band. Oh, that's great. That's which cool. is always an interesting yeah. dynamic. Then the producer comes in and tries to sort it out. Mm-hmm. Said, "Hey guys, this middle section is a mess. Get rid of it." <laughs> you know, well, we think it's cool. You know, the, all yeah. that nonsense. Uh, but we did it. We were young. We were doing it uh, like everybody, just trying to figure it out uh, until the lights went off. In other words all that rock stuff went away in the early nineties. It was over. Everybody lost their deals. So we got pretty far. We made a record that never saw the light of day. And, uh, by the time I'm 25, it's over. And this is back in the days when they still had two inch tape and that Absolutely. kind of stuff, you know, all that it was stuff. just starting to transition into digital a little bit. It was, it had, you know, like, uh, the big, you know, VHS tapes or yeah. ADAT machines. ADAT and machines. Stuff. Yeah. Right. But even that wasn't quite, You'd save it to that, but it was still all two-inch tape, and it would always stress me out to see someone editing two-inch tape. Oh, yeah, cutting. Like, and like oh, my gosh. With that's, razor blades yeah, and all what that What are you stuff. doing? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, but but that's an experience, too, that it taught me. Well, well, I still do it with my Pro Tools rig in the in the attic. I still feel like, I in my studio, I feel still feel like I have to get the whole take at once. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I'm the same you know, way. I'm like, oh, no, you can you can punch in. I'm like, I know, but. I, I don't want to. I want to. I want to. I want it to feel like I just did it all in one take. You trying know, to get from tricking, yeah, through it yeah. and ma- try to get the take, whatever yeah, that right. means. Yeah. Um, it's kind of an old thing, but it but it, it taught me how to do that or yeah. or how to at least go for that anyway. And and for those that don't know, uh, for drums, it is a little bit more difficult to punch to punch apart because you have cymbals ringing right. and there's all kinds of sounds going right. on. There's uh, ambient sounds in the room that that may be tricky to crossfade through you yeah, know unless just, you're like a genius and you just know that moment you know like right before the snare hits and there's nothing else going on and you can make a clean cut yeah. but still it's difficult it's tricky and it's messy and it get, it's diminished returns for me yeah oh, one more time one more time and sometimes the velocity's wrong too it's wrong like it, it's just, i've experienced that before where i played really a little bit harder on one take second take or that when I punched wasn't quite the same, and it's kind of like you feel a difference in the energy. Sure, right? I, I come in hot on the punch. I'm like smash. You're like, damn <laughs> yeah. it! Wow, you know? well they did something different there. I know. It's just it's as a drummer, it's like, well, let me just try to. I don't want to waste everybody's time, but yeah. let me just run it one more time. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go 15 times, but yeah. 
give me a second one. You so know, the band um, you were you were anyway, recording with, yeah. um, you guys, how did you, what was your dynamic as far as recording? Did you guys write charts or did you rehearse the crap out of it and then go play it? We yeah, those days we rehearsed it all. Yeah, uh, the producer would come in, which a good friend of mine, he, uh, great guy who taught me a lot, would do sort of pre-production. Who was come, who was that? Is a friend of mine named Stuart Kimball. Stuart Kimball, um, a great guitar player. He played with Bob Dylan for the past. 15 years up until a couple years ago. I'm going to have to look him up because that sounds like an interesting person. Great guy and a great friend who, a little older than me, maybe eight or nine years older than me, but but when I'm 23 and he's in his 30s with all that experience, it seemed like this guy knows everything, you know? Uh, And it was good to have someone in charge in those days as kids to kind of sort it out. And you didn't have things like YouTube and the internet and stuff no. to look things up or to learn. You you just the only way to learn back then really was to just do it. To you just had go to, to a do studio it. And, and help in a somebody. studio back then, at least in Boston, uh, the old uh, Spinal Tap joke. You know, mime is money. Time is money. Like the clock's yeah. ticking. Right. You know, you're you're paying. You know, let's say hundred and fifty dollars an hour in 1988. That to a bunch of kids that was. Uh, Insane. We that did, was a lot. Yeah, and that was just and, and the pressure would would stack that so that you would be more nervous and yeah, and it wouldn't come out the same. Right? And as the drummer, yeah. they're all waiting on you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got to get that. You got to get one clean take though. They can so they can do their punch. They can move yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's still <laughs> that way. But but then it was it was um, it was a lot at stake. So uh, he was great at teaching us how to do that. And so we would do pre-production. He'd come to rehearsal and sort out everything. What okay what's your kick drum pattern what, right or, yeah or, it doesn't thing. make sense this is messy i know you guys think you're rocking i got the same thing from dan huff yeah, when he was producing us he was like okay keach uh your kick patterns you gotta you gotta decide on the verse and the chorus it, yeah he goes i'm not real particular about what it is but just make sure it's consistent yeah on the on the verse and then when you go back to the verse make sure it's back to that kick pattern again and not just all over the place right yeah. unless you're making a, a jazz record or a grateful dead record i mean they, they kind of need can you think of a, ro- a famous rock song from the 80s that the kick pattern is just changes like every can you think of what it is <laughs> no what would it be um, the fix one thing leads to another oh Have you ever it, listen to that is it all over the place oh my god it's like one for That's one funny. verse it's like boom 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 and the next one is boom 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 and it just changes that's funny and and there, uh, the first verse is like doom, but it's, it's that every other kick drum That's kind of thing. Really it lays out, and then it and it gets more. It's just you have to, when next time you listen to that, listen to yeah. the kick pattern, and you're gonna go like, wow, man, he changes every single time. That's so funny. Maybe the producer was uh, more of a vocals guy, a, B, oh, yeah, a BGV yeah. guy, or Make something. Make it change. Do something different yeah. every time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which, at the end of it, it doesn't really matter, except if you're trying to build. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. A song, right? Of course, it gets right. messy. Is all it just gets messy? But it's funny. Is nobody is. ever said that one thing leads to another was a terrible song. No, it's great. That, that, it, that the drums were terrible in it. No, they were great. But huge hit. You know, producers just do what they do. You know, they do. Uh, luckily, we had a guy like that as kids, sort of teaching us, you know, what to look for, what to listen for. You know, yeah. try to make it sound like a record. We were a bunch of kids making demos. He's like, oh, you know, he has a kind of rough voice. He'd be like, it's got to sound like a record, man. It's got to yeah. sound like a record. Sound like a record. Sure. Like, oh, that's a good point I, because. But what does that mean? <laughs> he, he didn't want. To, he didn't. He didn't want to have the goal be a demo. Which, yeah, right. Which, which can be a little derogatory, maybe, or or not finished. He wanted to like sure. make it sound finished. If you don't give them the finished product, they're not going to be able to hear it like you can't just expect some person mm-hmm. 
who's listening to understand what you're thinking, you have to really make it There's sound so like many something. things that go into a record that make it a record. A record, you know? yeah. And, and like when I uh, was came to Nashville and I was learning about demo sessions versus master, what they called master sessions, right. I didn't think there was any different. I thought you come, you bring your instrument, you play as well as you can. And whether it's a demo or not, you still want it to sound good. But then I started learning about things like, you know, a drummer will bring like seven snares instead right. of just one. Right. And he'll, uh, you know, he'll he'll bring percussion stuff or he'll uh, bring the, really bring their A game, you know. Yeah. And there's something about it. New heads or something. Guitar players will bring their finest guitar, you know. Just just the concept back then of of making a record. What, what did that mean? Spending time on it, right? Like, yeah. Oh, you right. The actual recording sound of the record, like making it special in the recording, whatever that is, whether it's a gimmick or whether it's the, the, the instrumentation or the sound of the vocal, whatever yeah. it is, it's well thought out. It's like it's cohesive, it's, and, yeah, and yeah. It makes sense. So I was like, oh, that was it's such a art. Cool Instead lesson. of a demo, is more like I guess this painting a wall, like a yeah. white wall in an apartment, right? And the final record is more like a, a master, like a Rembrandt. Like it's like you spend time on it, exactly. you effort, you know. Yeah, it's it, art. It's a great lesson, and and I was lucky to have some of those guys, uh, friends, uh, to have the time to, or take the time to to teach us that, and uh, it made a difference. It, we got, it gave us a leg up when we when our local demo got on the radio, big rock stations in Boston. It sounded better. Ah, yeah. It stuck out a little bit more, you know. Uh, he he helped us carve the song out a little better and get rid of some of the stuff that didn't need to be yeah, there. I got you. you know yeah, that okay. kind of stuff, yeah. which I didn't know any of that as a kid. I, you know, we were just shooting from the hip at that point, and it, which is a beautiful place to be. But if you wanted to get it on the radio or you wanted people to listen to it, a three-minute song, you, it had to be tight. You know. Um, no, it didn't matter what style you were playing. How did you feel playing in the studio back then? Is your first like experience or whatever? How did you feel? I liked it. Speaking of Stu Kimball, one of the greatest lessons he ever gave me, we're doing this big power ballad, as you would back in those days. Do the take, no click, and I'm feeling it. At the end, of course, I think in my head, I do this ridiculous fill, right? Okay, Some yeah. big roll fill on the outro. We stop the take. On the talk back, Stu gets on the gets on the talk back. That was great. Let's do it again. Lose the buddy Rich Phil. And uh and let's do it again. Like, Lose the buddy Rich Phil. Like what? Oh, me, yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. I'm thinking that's the coolest part. And he was like, Lose that. We don't need it. We're on a big power ballad outro Serve chorus. Serve the song a little more yeah. instead of yourself, right? What a lesson. That, yeah, right. He's like, Lose that, Phil. That's <laughs> Don't do that again. Well, I'm glad they didn't tell Steve Smith that in Journey because he had some cool fills. I know, you know, right? I wonder if they ever told him that. And he said, nope, I'm doing it. Right? Well, he, he's the guy who who certainly made that work in, in, in his own unique way. I wasn't making that work. Right. It was, it was in there for all the wrong reasons, and he nailed me on it. He was 100% right. It was a great lesson, and I... Been, now, are these records out still? Can you no, find them no. somewhere? Uh, the one we made, uh, you know, uh, never came out. <laughs> Just like they do back in the day, they spend all this money, and they never come out. And uh, we were sort of subject to that time period where, in but 1991, anything that was a rock band from before, and we were t-shirts and jeans rock band. We were probably more bad company rock than we were, you know, some uh, hair metal band or anything. But it didn't matter. Everybody they switched to the next thing. 
So, you know, it was what it was. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what was going on in the early 90s. It kind of switched to, was it gangster stuff, rock kind of thing? Oh, grunge. Grunge, grunge the Nirvana thing was, yeah. put the lights out on everybody. It, late 80s, early 90s was grunge, yep. and it, that sort of leveled the, I don't com- know, what would you say? It, it Erased com- everything before? It, it, it wiped it out. And, yeah. And some of it needed to go. Uh, but everybody else that was just a rock band, like, I just thought we were a rock band. We weren't yeah. really... That trendy, weird. The hairband thing was kind of big. Back it was then. huge, you know, you bon Jovi and Jovi and and Cinderella and all that yeah. stuff, and they were just. Huge it had big. gotten too much, and, yeah. and and again, Nirvana and those bands, the Seattle bands, just ended it. Uh, right, which needed to happen, I suppose. Um, at the time, it didn't feel so good because you finally get in the door, and then the door. What was it? Shut. Kind of more gritty. Kind of it went from like Def Leppard. Candy rock, kind of to this yeah. gritty, gritty kind of. Yeah, I don't like Soundgarden and Nirvana yeah. and Alice in Chains and yeah. all that stuff, which we were probably had more in common with those bands, like an Alice in Chains, than we did, you know, uh, a glam band or a, a yeah. poppy band, you know. Uh, but whatever, it's all just rock. So but. you're in Boston, and this yeah. band, you said, just kind of like uh, everybody just went, well, I guess we're out. So you were looking for something to do. So how did Nashville come up? Did, did you go from there to Nashville? Uh, almost a couple of years, you know, I'm kind of just uh, hanging around Boston, wondering what to do now. And a good friend of mine who was also in a band with Stuart Kimball, uh, our producer, uh, a guy named Angelo, uh, good friend of mine from Boston, he had moved to Nashville a couple of years uh prior than me moving there i was bored in boston one winter i came to visit him here and i realized oh my gosh this is a place to be now at the time angelo was kind of the dude he's a he's a songwriter and i was kind of living in his shoes for a week when i visited him but it made me realize oh this is might be the place to come and try to be a drummer if i'm going to do that i wasn't sure am i still going to try to do this what am i doing you know it was like i'm not in a band I, I, didn't, I was kind of floundering. So I said, you know what? Screw it. I, I'm, I, I'm not done. I, what else am I going to do? So uh, it's what I love to do. So I moved here. We followed him down here. Um, wow. And uh, not knowing if I was going to last a week, a month, a year. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I knew he was here. But he, he's a songwriter. He knows everybody. But... He's not a drummer. Did you have a family at this time, or were you still single? Or? Uh, no, uh, uh, with my wife. We yeah. weren't married at the time, but um, oh my gosh, she probably cried for the first year straight, yeah. and she's not a crier, so oh, it wow. was it was a rough adjustment. So she came with you? She came with yeah. me. It was rough, but we knew it was time to change in Boston. We, right. We'd kind of done everything we could do there, and coming to Nashville at the time was so doable. Yeah. It was so affordable that you could come here and kind of figure it out, yeah. you know, it, we were going to save money. Uh, we were making money by doing nothing compared to Boston. You know, it was so affordable. Um, so yeah, so I just uh, kind of slogged it out, and uh, here I am, a hundred years later. I'm still here. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. But uh, Angelo, uh, to his credit, uh, again, he um, he had a band in Boston called Face to Face, a, a huge '80s band. He like Stuart always took care of us, always mm-hmm. looked out for us. He's here and he, he went on to produce and write all the Kings of Leon stuff here in Nashville. Wow, and, uh, nice. he's just one of those dudes. We're still friends to this day. Uh, he, he's written a, a Rodney number one. It's kind of funny how it all, uh, comes around. If he had told me when I was a kid that I'd be in Nashville, 
Yeah. Playing for a guy that you wrote a number one country. <laughs> no, I think you're insane. Right. But here we are, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah. How, so, how would you describe Rodney Atkins? Now, I'm, I've I've heard him. I, you know, I've heard the songs and stuff like that. But what's your your take on his sound and his what, what you maybe what you add to it? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, like I said at the time, that going through Hell record, he just decided to just peel it back and try to get the best songs and co-write the best songs that meant something. And this to would him. have been about '06. So this is '06 when this yeah, right. first single comes out, and that album eventually comes out that later that year, that summer. Um, at the time, it was a little bit of an outlier, uh, where uh, but it was kind of of that same class of people of you know Luke Bryan and and Al Dean and all those guys that sort of second wave like after you guys right uh, that big '90s uh, huge uh, you know uh, scene uh, sort of a next wave that I stumbled into uh, in I moved here in '97. So 98, 99, 2000, I kind of stumbled into this next wave. These guys are maybe a little younger than me, but they all kind of want rock players, and it's yeah, right. It's changing a little bit. So to have a rock drummer in a country band just has seems to work. It, it just, just works. always has worked. Yeah, and those guys are maybe coming up more on Skinnerd, maybe, and yeah. uh, and and ZZ Top, maybe as more than like maybe their parents listen to Merle Haggard or something, you know. And it, it wasn't on the radio to them. A hard-hitting drummer in a country band. Yes. I mean, that's just, if you didn't have that, it would just seem kind of odd. You know, it, it would seem like. Yes. And, and of course, Garth changed that too. Of course, yeah. He was the in-between yeah. of all that maybe, where some of those guys, like Rodney was huge fan of, of the Garth, that over-the-top, which coming from rock and roll, I was like, oh yeah, that's, we've been doing that in rock and roll for a long time, but Garth kind of put all that together, right? Along with great songs and but the big live performance, you know, that big over-the-top yeah. uh, live performance. So I stumbled into that. Yeah. So when I'm here, guys like Rich Redman and me, we all moved here at the same time, and we're trading $25 gigs, you know, like demo oh, yeah. stuff. I'd, I'd get a call from someone I didn't know. Hey, Rich gave me your number. Uh, we're doing a showcase at next week at six o'clock at 12th and Porter. Can you do it? Uh, like, uh, sure. Here's but, the tape yeah, to learn the yes. three songs we got to do. Yes. <laughs> Thanks Rich. You know, cause he, he was doing so many of them that he would just bounce them uh, to whomever. I like so. Rich. He's, I've had him on the podcast before. We uh, traded podcasts one time cause he has one. Oh, and sure. I was a guest on his. Yeah. And he came on here. Uh, Fascinating you know, guy. That was kind of the scene at the time. And he was such a mover and shaker. I was like, Oh, this guy's, this guy's doing it. You know, uh, it's pretty cool. He knows everybody. That's awesome. I was kind of trying to figure it out myself. That That's not as comfortable for me, so I had to find a way. Again, there's the Rich Redmond story, which is incredible, but I'm not I'm not that guy, so I got to figure out what's my version of that that I'm comfortable with, you know, which I guess I did. But uh, he would always bounce me stuff, and we'd run into each other all the time, and we're, we're all just making that scene. And and remember, I remember talking to him on the podcast. He had a guy that that, that did him the same way in right. the beginning. He and I remember who it was. Might have been Greg Morrow or somebody sure. that helped him out. That totally, he came to town, didn't know anybody, and he said, "Hey, here, take this gig. Here's I can't do." And it was right. the same thing, and he right. passed it along to you. So Nashville was very much like that then, where even the guys that were the guys were very welcoming and very cool. You'd go into Fork's drum closet and see these guys, and they they were very unassuming and they talk about anything. It was yeah, great. It seem like there's any competition. No. They're just kind of like, yeah, man. And that's the way it should be. Why would, why would, uh, 
Eddie Bears be threatened by me. <laughs> I, it's, right. You know, he, and I wasn't delusional enough to think that I was going to just waltz right in here and take someone's spot. I, yeah. I, I think every, every drummer has their place. Yeah. They're, they're sort of slot, you know, like, uh, I was saying you playing with, um, Jason Aldean may not be the same as, as Rich Redmond because he's got his thing. And then now you're with Rodney Atkins. You put me or somebody else in Rodney Atkins' band and it just wouldn't be the same. For whatever reason. Yeah. And they, they kind of, just like you guys and Aldean, they kind of built that animal themselves. They kind of yeah. built it from the ground up. We did the same thing. We kind of built it from the ground up trying to figure out what is this thing. And, okay, now we got a couple of hits. How do we make it work live? How sure, does it? Because yeah. a record's a record, but, you know, we certainly seen people who have hit records that doesn't quite come across live, or maybe the energy's a little different. So you want to maybe up the energy, keep people engaged. We're still battling that, right? Right. Even yeah, all these right. years later, you still want to. You guys trying to figure you guys, out the show. <laughs> you guys last weekend go out there and do exactly that and just murder it for an hour or whatever your set was, like an yeah, hour, hour and a half, set, hour and yeah. fifteen. And I'm like, yep, that's how you do it, you know. So plug you guys in anywhere and you're going to go figure it out you built the thing you know so um it's different for everybody you know uh i said i walked up behind you that first night last weekend and i just heard your snare and i just i just as i got closer <laughs> i heard the whole thing and it was just crushing and i'm not blowing smoke at you i'm just saying oh no this is these guys are bringing it and the crowd's in it and uh wow that's how you do it i appreciate know? that man. oh it makes me feel good it's just a fact like i you know it's, it's i'm like it's, yeah i think I, being a drummer you it pays to have a certain swagger you know a certain yeah. intensity in your playing that the band can sit on top of you yeah. know and you're the foundation you know yeah. and i think that every drummer should have that and it's different for everybody right so like you said it, it, I, I can't necessarily tell you what is going to work for you you have to kind of go figure that out um, and it's not just about smashing drums or something and playing hard for no reason. It's, if your guy doesn't like that, that's going to be a problem. You know? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So you have to figure it out. But um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm completely off the rails at this oh, point no, where, um, where I've lost myself. So, but, uh, yeah, when I we were opening for you guys, um, Rodney Atkins doing a big show and and I saw you at Soundcheck, and I, I thought, I know that. I know, and I knew I knew you, but I just, it's been a while since I've seen you. And then we just had a great conversation up there about drums and drumming. And yeah, it was awesome. And I, I probably, so for 20 years, we've probably played on a bill with you every summer. Sure, yeah. What, a couple times a year at some point in my life? I, even if I wasn't playing with Rodney, I'm sure I was on a bill with you guys. Mm-hmm. At least once or twice a summer yeah. for and 20 And to explain years. to people why we, we can be on a tour and not really run into each other is because the best way I can describe it, and I think you'll agree, is during the day there's so many different schedules and people yeah. coming and going and sound checks have to happen at a certain time and there's a certain order. A lot of times we wouldn't we right. we wouldn't run into each other because you're at the hotel while I'm doing sound check, and then we go back to the hotel. You come out to do something. That's right. And so it's very rare that we would ever actually kind of run into each I other know. except maybe during the show and then you're on stage playing so i can't talk to you so right and you're coming off and then yeah. we're, we're we're or i'm coming off and you're we're on the changeover whatever it is you got 15 yeah. minutes and trying to plug in and make sure everything we might run into each other at catering at some point right. on that's a big right. tour but that's it's, right it's tough unless you're really on tour with the band like yeah. for multiple days drummers don't really get to yeah. see each other a lot so I, i'm always a big fan to see other people out there and again for you i i know 
I've played every year for at least 20 years <laughs> yeah. in a summertime somewhere. Yeah, with you guys on the bill playing or whatever. Absolutely, yeah, right. absolutely. And I love doing the outdoor festivals. It's just the fans that come out, uh, the kids. You see kids enjoying music and stuff like that, yep. running around having fun. It's just like the best. Country's pretty amazing in that way, especially coming from the rock world. That uh, you could put you guys or run it, whatever, whatever, whatever decade you're from. It doesn't really matter. But country's so cool that you could literally put you or him or anybody on any bill, whatever the newest guy is, you can plug them in and people are going to go nuts. They, 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 uh, they appreciate this. They know the songs. It's, yeah. it's pretty astounding. Yeah. Cause you know, uh, some of these songs that big songs that Rodney's had now are from 2006 and seven and eight. And people are singing them like they came out yesterday. Does Rodney have it's a, when he's when he's you're rehearsing songs or new songs or something, does he have a sort of a uh, an axiom that he wants it to sound like the record, or does he let you do whatever you want to do? Or does he does he have an input into that, or how I, I does think, that work? I but, think he trusts us to do it. I I think he really. It's always that artist balance of like they want to hear their record coming back at them. So mm-hmm. some of, whatever those some of those elements are, sometimes something a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that or they want to hear that banjo or something. Live version of something, yeah. But, but they also, he's always good about, he really wants it to th- thump out there. He wants yeah. to have the energy. So um, he he's always given us a pretty good leeway of like letting it rip. Like, you know, and if it goes too crazy. He'll say something. He'll say right. something like, oh man, that, you know, that's cool. Yeah. But, you know, it, it got it got a little yeah. loose. You know? It's kind of out of hand. Yeah, yeah. I got you. But uh, he's pretty good about making sure that he, he likes to have the big energy again. I think I think he's really grew up as a big fan of Garth, so he he understands what that the energy sometimes is yeah. just as, if not almost more important than worrying about what the record sounded like. Yeah. Sometimes are you guys on Click? Do you guys do you run a Click Live? We're on Click, yeah. doing the whole thing. Uh, uh, and for those that don't know, one of the biggest reasons we have Click Live, you know, I can I can understand in the studio because you want it to be on a grid and it's Pro Tools and all that. But a lot of times live, there's so many things going on digitally, like video screens, and uh, sometimes there's some uh, percussion tracks or something that yep. they, uh, or something on the album that's like a loop kind of thing that you don't really have a percussionist playing. Uh, pads to, to sound like a loop you just put the loop in there yeah and so a lot of things going on lighting cues things like that that have to be on a it also track. even before the 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 advanced like the amount of tracks uh, that maybe people use now even before that it was sort of a good tool to stop the discussions okay. oh that was too fast that was too slow that no, that's one thing I love about it the is there's no ambiguity on. about it I it's, was right on it I looked down it said 74 <laughs> It, no, Nobody it, can ever say a thing. It, yeah. it ends it. There, you know. There's a comfort in that. Yes. Uh, now, if someone was on top of it or behind it, whatever. But the tempo yeah. was the same. Uh, and as a drummer, uh, speaking for myself, if you have a bunch of adrenaline in you, mm-hmm. sometimes and you're counting off a song, I'm going to start that song too fast. <clears throat> right, Guaranteed. Okay, yeah. I'm like, one, two, three, four. It's going to be <laughs> way too fast. You know, you're at some big festival. So it's nice to have that there to at least, you can have the energy but you're not starting at 10 clicks too fast and everybody's looking at you like, oh my God, I can't sing this song, it's too fast. So I like that part of it. Uh, so yeah, click and uh, some tracks going and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I heard the other night when I was 
listening to y'all show, I heard a little bit of Charlie Daniels' voice coming out of the, somewhere. Oh yeah, we did, we made like a little <laughs> it's like uh, a South's going to do it again. Yes. thing. I'm like, wait, is that Charlie? Is he wait, here? He's no. not here. We uh, Rodney loves Charlie Daniels so much. We made it like a little loop, a little track loop of this song That's intro. So cool. Uh, for a song called About the South. So uh, yeah, it's fun. And we, I mean. We're not trying to fool anybody that Charlie Daniels is on the stage. But know, it's, right? it's almost like a little uh, sort of DJ <laughs> it's an intro. Homage kind yeah, of thing. yeah, totally, right, sure. totally, just to get people fired up. You know, yeah, uh, that's cool. Hopefully, people still know who Charlie Daniels is. Yeah, right. Hopefully, um, well, it's funny that you heard that. That's good. Uh, that's kind of new. We're just trying to just keep it moving. Like you know, the deal. Just try to yeah. show business. Know, Let's keep the show going. Yeah, yeah, make it new set, freshen it up a little bit. Try to keep the energy going and uh, keep it fun. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. That is supposed to be the point. Uh, What's your thought on, um, you know, Michael and I, my, our guitar player Michael and I, we, we've talked about it for years and years and years, and there's a whole issue of some guys in the band want the songs to flow, like, seamlessly, like, no dead time, no pauses, no nothing. Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Um, and then there's other, you know, guys in the band that feel like, let it breathe a little bit. You know, we, we went over to Germany. We were playing over in Germany, and we saw Three Doors Down. A concert and we knew some of the guy our bass player was good friends with their bass player and they right. invited us out so we took yeah. a, a, a taxi or a van or something all the way over to this place we were at in germany frankfurt or something like that and we went and saw their show and they we were just appalled they're a great band and it was it worked for them they would do a song and then they would stop they would all go to like a boxers they would go to their corner and there were a little tech or whatever is hand them a towel and they'll take a drink and it would just be total nothing dead time not a note for like a minute oh boy and it was forever and then the crowd's all just going yeah you know they're just digging it and then he'd get up there and say a little bit and they'd do another song and then after that song they'd go take another little break it was like crazy oh that's and i wild. thought we would never like go that long without yes. playing something or whatever but what do you does rodney does there any kind of like moments in there where rodney likes to bang them all together for okay, sure yeah. I, because i understand he's standing out there and dead silence is awkward right so we kind of build him in to keep the momentum going but also give him a spot where he can step off yeah. or or tell a story because I, I i like the stories like some of them are interesting he's like no man you need to tell a story right there that's a good place to tell that story people love it so that works so the energy stays but yeah i agree i i, I don't mind for the right band it's the right it depends on the band i like yeah. to keep it moving and take a take a break in spots and yeah. you know let him step off so he doesn't have to feel like he's has to say something every time yeah. but uh for the most part yeah most people don't like the dead silence right you I, know one thing i learned uh, back in the 80s was that a great way to live to, if you do need some dead time and someone there's going to be some something is you start the song out with the drums let the drum beat go sure that does a couple of things yep. number one they don't know what the song is so there's kind of a mystery of like what's the song going to be well i don't know i just hear this drum beat right and then the second thing is it already establishes the groove it's you're not trying to uh, fall into a groove the rest of the band you have established it you are playing that groove and they can just count themselves off they can talk however over it if they want to they can count each other in go two three four you know and then drums are already going and then they just fall into that so we we built a couple of you know we have a couple like even just piano intros uh so that he can talk over over uh so it's just not complete dead silence while they're telling a story there's a couple spots where it makes sense he's telling a story about his kid he's like it's a mood thing you can almost like yeah but you want to keep people engaged for sure uh so it's always it's always a battle though uh i think if you just hammer them all the way down the line with no break that's a little weird too they have no they can't 
they can't come up for air. So one know. of my biggest pet peeves of all is to hear a guitar. And it's usually the artist is a guitar player. And I heard Pat Travers do this one time on an album, on a live live show, tuning the guitar in the middle of, you know, hey, everybody oh doing out there? Oh you know, oh I was just like, God. come on. You man. got a mute on that thing, right? Yeah. Like, That's what I you have a guitar tech for. <laughs> or something. Just, just hit the tuner, it should go off. Yeah. yeah I would no, almost no. rather hear the guitar out of tune in the song than for them to sit there and tune it. Right. Like in the middle, right. like in between songs. Uh, yeah, no, that's annoying. Uh, so, yeah, we try to keep it moving. You know, uh, I, I know Ronnie's really sensitive to that. And yeah. I get it. He's the one standing out there. Absolutely. E- easy for name. me to say in the back mm-hmm. behind all this stuff, hiding behind all this stuff. It's, you know, it's co- more comfortable for me back there. Uh, yeah. well, he's got to be up there in awkward silence. So right. it's yeah. pretty weird. But so uh, Keep it moving. Oh, so I wanted to ask you about yeah. early your early days. We talked earlier about... Um, how I'm sort of fascinated with the that whole epiphany moment. Like what what oh, right. happened for you when you were young? You said it a couple of times. You oh, and during your life, you had that moment where it was like, oh, okay, that's what I want to do, or that yeah. I'm interested in that. That's uh, the I, I'll give you the short version. My great uncle was a drummer, so he was a big band jazz drummer. So uh, real cool guy, uh, old school. You know, like Vegas in the '60s, Louis Prima, all that kind wow. of stuff. He was like best friends with Gene Krupa back in the day. Wow, so those are stories man. I grew up with. Best like, friends with Gene Krupa? Yeah, they were like great friends. Cause you know, Southern Connecticut, New York, all that same scene. Well, it, I equated to, I know it sounds crazy, but I equated to like me knowing you. Yeah. You know, they just knew each other because they were on the scene and playing and it's what, they, and drink, it's you, what that's they what did. you did. Yeah, he would yeah. bring them over to my great-grandmother's uh, in the middle of the night for like spaghetti, big Italian wow. family. Anyway, <laughs> so he would... He introduced us to drumming as kids. I thought he was cool. Me and all my cousins. Uh, so I thought he was the coolest guy I'd ever seen. So, And he's a great guy. But so I sort of became interested because he was my uncle and whatever. But I obviously took to it. I liked it. But um, I think I remember one of the biggest times was on TV. Uh, I remember watching TV with my mom and the Jackson 5 were on TV. So it's like the early 70s. Wow. So I'm probably, you know, eight years old. Right, okay. And I couldn't believe it, you know, like they were kids and to see the Jackson five on TV playing live back then, uh, on like the Diana Ross and, and, and doing dancing, all the stuff that they it did. It was just mind blowing. Wow. I was like, Whoa. To, one thing to see adults do that when you're a kid, but when you see kids and you're a kid, it just, it makes know, it more real, more oh possible. Oh my gosh. Like, it was, I couldn't yeah. believe it. You know, like these guys, unbelievable. Uh, and then always loving music. And then, of course, you know, as I start to discover music on my own, I'm 10 years old, go to my cousin's house and Kiss Alive comes out. Oh, wow. So yeah. I opened that gave fold. And, you know, I'd already loved music and my uncle and big band records, whatever was in the house. So I, old rock and roll, whatever records were in the house. But discovering that for myself as a new thing, as a 10 year old, kind of twists your brain a little bit you know right. so it's very you're thinking exciting. that's what i want to do this i know is, if the jackson five kids could do it i could do it yeah too. this is crazy <laughs> i i want to be in a i'm starting to get oh it's a band thing for me i want to be in a band a group of guys that are doing something like that uh and then it just kept evolving like i, I you know Kept searching for that. Yeah, that, gotta find a band. I gotta find a band. Gotta find a band. Band in high school with with friends that I had since I was you know twelve, thirteen years old, all the way through high school. You know, uh, my mom used to joke that you guys didn't know, but you were in the basement every weekend. You were home. 
most kids are out getting in trouble. Right. You guys didn't even realize that you were home every week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's You so didn't realize cool. you weren't getting in trouble. Right. <laughs> because we loved to play so much. We were wow. just in the basement. That's great. Playing, uh, trying to figure out whatever. What sounds good. Figuring out your sound. Yeah. yeah. yeah trying to figure out how to play how this song. How do we get famous? Song. How do we get, how do we get a four track? Who's got, can yeah. we borrow some money? Yeah. <laughs> trying to record on, on a cassette you know, with two little left and right uh, microphones or something, whatever, yeah. That. And then you rewind it and, and record on the other one and play on one, and then you add a part. And it's like, what are we doing? This is crazy. But you're just figuring it all out. It was, a, it was an amazing thing. I couldn't get enough of it, yeah. be, being in a band. Yeah. And uh, I still have that mentality. Of course, yeah. Uh, I don't uh, think it ever goes away it, for guys like you and me. It doesn't, right? Uh, even putting together a, a band for Rodney, I'm thinking, okay, now it's an artist gig. We're sidemen. I'm fully aware this is not my gig, but we still got to have a band. Yeah, it's still got to have. That. It's got to have a band sound, and it's got to have a unity. Something, yeah. Yeah. you know. I know he's got hit records that, you know, are great session players and all, but but live, it's got to be some semblance of a band feel. People want to see that. Wow. They just don't want to see. I don't think just a guy standing there with nothing else going on. That's pretty boring. Um, that's not what Garth Brooks did yeah. as far as the new country guys. That guy was like, he had band guys and they were smashing things and flying around. Yeah. And, yeah. I think that, I think I heard in an interview where Garth said that he used to uh, watch a show and he would sit way back in the back, somebody else's show or even his own setup. He would sit way back in the nosebleed section and think like, what would I like to see? What would right. be fun to right. see and try to imagine an audience member watching that show, watching the Garth show. And then he came up with like smashing guitars and yeah. you know, jumping up and doing yeah. this. I mean, I think we all that's that's the old sort of cliche. We all steal from everywhere. Yeah, right. You know, whatever, yeah. you know, and try to, you know, that's usually, you know, you steal it from somewhere and then you're not quite doing it like they did it because maybe you couldn't figure it out or you uh and then you, it becomes your own version of this, yeah. that same thing, right? Uh, that's how the good stuff happens. Um, maybe that's why I'm so astounded by maybe, and this may, uh, not to sound like old guy talk, but you know, you see people on Instagram because there's so many ways to see how things done that players are so astounding that uh, maybe maybe it loses some of the uh, messiness yeah. of figuring it out yourself. Sure, okay, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to make the point of like, when you can't, when someone's not telling you every exact thing and you have to figure it out, you make cool mistakes. That you keep and then make it your sound, sort of. Whatever in a way. that yeah. is, whatever that your is. Your version of 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover or something, which right. is probably not the exact same as Steve yeah. Gadd did it, but it sounds, sounds cool. Because you're never going to do it better than that. Right, yeah. And he invented it, so yeah. he's already got to be just on the invention. So you have to you still have to find your own version. Sure. So speaking of which, uh, when you play with Rodney, that was the one question I had. When you play with Rodney, are you are you yourself? Or when you're playing, is this is this 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 is the Kevin that you know Rapillo that that it's me, it's my sound? Or are you trying to sound like his record? Are you being the Rodney Atkins version of Kevin Rapillo? Uh, interesting. That's a great question. I guess uh, I like to think I'm just me doing me uh, as I friends from in new england when i first moved to nashville like oh you're playing country now i'm like well i guess but so i guess uh, are you playing the same as you did when you were in that band i, I, I would uh, say so what was I would the group say so. called again oh in, just a 
band called Kid Crash. Just Kid Crash, yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> my, my memory's terrible. Nobody would know where that is. Kid Crash. Is uh, it the same you, or is or have you have you sure. altered it a little bit? No, I mean, well, you learn for sure, mm. and then you come into Nashville, you had to, or I had to figure out how to play for a lot of different people, not necessarily changing me, but just making sure I was aware of them. And maybe even the kit would change a little bit from, from what, maybe instead of high toms or whatever, to sound uh, like that, you want to sound more like today's country. Absolutely. But then again, you know, Rodney was always really cool about me doing me. So I'd bring out like some ridiculous double bass drum kit and wow. whatever I thought was fun. And he, he was cool with it. He was like, yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah. So he was always cool. But yeah, we definitely want to serve the record. I mean, we don't want to like confuse people, but on the other hand, he, he was always, he really wanted big, he wanted to be big as it could be. Big you know? sound, yeah, big fat so, drums. So I'm like, well, I'm kind of a one trick pony. It's not like, I, I, you know, I'm going to play some samba that you're going to be blown away by. You know, I'm not, a, a, you know, Afro-Cuban drummer uh, yeah. style. So I'm pretty much... A rock and oh, roll speaking kid, of which, know. can I steal your idea of, it's the coolest thing I ever saw. You know what I'm talking about, the, the floor tom. You oh. have a floor tom that is your, so you have the, the one rack tom up top, and then you have these two floor toms, right. one of which is a marching snare. That's right. That is so cool. It's, it's, it's a sort of, 10 lug marching snare with the right. lo- high tension lugs, and it's a floor tom. See, the, this is my perfect example of like... Um, of my limitations uh, working for me. Again, I, you know, I wanted, I built this new kit and kind of wrapped it and I didn't, I wanted two floor toms and I didn't have a second floor tom to wrap. So I had this old marching snare, stripped the chrome off. It was a Ludwig. So it was cool. It sounded terrible as a snare for some reason. Yeah, right. It was terrible. I'm like, well, it can't get any worse and I'm never going to use it as a snare. So I stripped it <laughs> to 15 inch and a 10 lugger and I put, I made I put floor toms leg on, legs on it, wrapped it, put the heads back on, and went. Well, hell, it sounds like a good floor that tom. Sounds like the best floor tom ever. <laughs> so it's a fifteen by twelve, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. I could totally uh, tell it's a marching snare. Yeah. I used to have one of those. Your funny, fifteen right? inch marching snare years ago with the mock lugs on I it. Never in a million years would have thought of to use it as a floor tom. <laughs> I'm, I'm, That's such I, a cool idea. I, well, again, it's just me Frankensteining some yeah. things together. So I hope you don't mind borrowing your idea because oh, that, that sounds it. so freaking cool. It's, it sounds pretty good, and it sounds different than a sixteen. Where sometimes fourteen inch floor toms don't always sound that good. And the ten on lugs kind of gives it a more, I don't know what it is, just I, something about it. It's some, it just works. I, yeah. it, it was a happy accident that I went because I didn't have anything to put in place. And uh, So you, up top, you've got, is it a 13 or 14? It's a 13. 13, which is my favorite. Yep. 13 inch first I know, time. That's what, I I, that's what I've got. Um, and your second one's a 15 inch marching floor tom <laughs> that's right that's right and yep. then it's a 16 or an 18 regular 16 regular, yeah, regular 16, 16 inch yep. and uh, the brand of drums you're playing is that's uh, those are Lud- that's a ludwig kit ludwig from the, kit. From okay, the early yeah. 90s um which was kind of this orphan kit it was really ugly like a, a ugly old green stain that had turned um so i wrapped it yeah right I'm like well i'm gonna wrap it and make it the shells are great and it looks like an american flag yeah they like, did this the with classic. the red heads on there i've never yeah. seen you're the first time i've ever seen red uh, what would you call those? E- ebony? Not, not, no, sorry. Um, they're, they're emperors. They're, emperors, but they're... But they're... They, uh, like Remo makes ooh. these like color-toned heads, yeah, okay. which is kind of a gimmick, but they're basically clear emperors yeah. that they make in all different colors. I'm like, well, of oh. course I'm going to put red. Yeah, with the red, white, and blue uh, red, yeah. drums. That's uh, so cool. It's all Bicentennial uh, um, Ludwig kit. You know, I kind of made my own weird 
kid. And I like cool. doing that every year. We kind of, I kind of grew up with like your favorite rock bands. Every tour, they'd the drummer would have some new kid. Alex Van Halen would have a new version of the tour His kid. acrylic thing or whatever. Yeah. yeah right. So I I just wow. entertain myself every year with some new old version of something that makes me happy wow. um, to keep myself entertained. I like I like that. It's yeah, fun. that's cool. It's fun. And I'm sure the band likes it too because they're like, oh, hey, you got that thing now. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Jimmy Herman, our, 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 I'll give him the credit. He was so fired up about the red, silver, and blue sparkle thing. He was like, you got to do it. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. If it makes you happy, let's do it. Well, I love that wow. kind of stuff. Again, also drum kits serve as, as you know, like almost a mascot of the band. Of yeah, like it's like it's a set piece. It's yeah. a, it's a it's it's furniture up there. It's like it, it's, yeah. you know, uh, it's got to look like something. Yeah, you know? I always tell people, students, you know, when they're starting out, make sure you have a great looking drum kit because you don't want to just go buy a used drum kit. They're kind of worn out and faded and get there because when people look up on the stage and minus the band and they're just waiting for you to come on the one thing they see more above anything is that drum kit yeah. and that's almost like what's this band going to sound like yep. you know what am i in for and they look at that drum kit and they can almost kind of get a feel yeah it's, it's it's a personality it's a thing it's 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 kind of a thing that's always there that people notice people like looking at that i, yeah. I didn't realize even non-musicians they just like drums they're shiny they're big they mm-hmm. make a lot of noise there's a guy back there waving his arms People like that energy. And you might put some things on there that make people's curiosity grow. Like Absolutely. they'll be like, what's that drum that's way up high in the back or that that weird cymbal trash rack thing that he's got going on yeah. there? I can't wait to hear that. I mean, I, I'm always living my Alex Van Halen dream. I, I brought up double kick drums in a gong like in, we were on the Martina McBride tour. We were the opening band and I, I had a gong and stuff. Boy. And that road crew wore me out. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care. Were you out meaning like, you're like, oh God, like gong. Shoot. They were great. They were hilarious. They were just busting my chops every day. And I loved it. I Did like, you play it? Did you use it? Oh yeah. I'm, really? hitting, I'm hitting the hell out of this thing. You know, <laughs> uh, I, you know, they'll let me bring it out here. I'm bringing it. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. But again, we're just trying to have fun. You know, you want a drum kit to look like something. And, and Ronnie always appreciated that energy of like, yeah, man, bring it. You know, he'd be up there hitting cymbals with his headstock and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> Hey, if Keith Moon can have a, a gong, I can have one. Okay? Yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, <laughs> we're out playing in front of people, people. It is yeah, a show. It's entertainment. It is yeah. a show. Let's have some fun. So did you have a case for that thing or did it just like of float above everything? It actually it? slid in one of the, um, I had like a, some drum cases, some like uh, road cases that had like a front cymbal uh, slot that was unnecessarily long. Okay. Just by the way they built the case. So that gong would just slide in there. <laughs> oh, wow. It was perfect. I'm like, great. And I, I, I built a little, uh, like the Yamaha rack held it and stuff. It was ridiculous. Wow. Again, That's awesome. I'm just entertaining myself. So what's new for you guys? You guys just going to keep on going this summer and uh, any new albums or anything? Keep on going this summer. I know he's got new music coming out, which has been a while. You know, uh, the COVID thing. Side, you know, we're still through everybody sideways dealing with yeah. the waves of, of sort of recovery of that in the music business anyway. Um, so he's got a new record coming out. We're playing some of it in, in the new show every once in a while. Uh, you know how that goes. They're still deciding what's going to be a single. Oh, yeah, in right. it. Uh-huh. But I love that, you know, uh, he still wants to make new music and he yeah, still sure. is important to him. He's got him. He's got it in him still. You yeah. Know, new songs. And, and I think it's important uh, to, to, 
change that up, whatever it is, whether it's a new music or something else you want to put in the set or whatever it is, it's kind of keeps it fresh and keeps everybody cool. engaged or whatever. And well, we're playing again this week. Are we? We're are we doing some more shows with you. Are, are we doing three this week? Aren't I think we? We are. Or two, yeah. Or two of two together two this maybe. Week and yeah. So yeah. We're, we're just be back out there on it's the. Be, oh man, you're gonna, with you. I can't wait. You're gonna be so sick of me by the I gotta end teach of this. you how to ride the one wheel. Uh, yeah, Got yeah. It. I want to see that thing. <laughs> just with the just with the 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 uh, tour managers want to see drummers on drummers like, on one wheel or one wheel. God, we're in trouble. <laughs> well, Kevin Rapello, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we'll see you out on the road this uh, next weekend. Yeah, man, thanks for having me and letting me uh, babble on endlessly. And uh, uh, I just appreciate you guys so much, man. You guys are like some OG like legends out there. So it's uh, and in a good way. I mean that in like just killing it thank every you. night. So appreciate it. I love it. Right back at you, man. And uh, we'll see you out this weekend. All right, man. Thank you. See you guys.